Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Earlier this year, state lawmakers moved to expand gambling in Connecticut after the governor reached a deal with the state's two casino-owning tribes. And this week, the Federal Interior Department may release its decision on whether to approve the amended gaming compacts. Today, where we live, we look at the future of online gambling and sports betting in the state. How will this expansion affect residents, including young people? Coming up, we'll hear from a UConn medical student who's researching problem gambling resources. First, I want to welcome back to the show on Zoom today is State Senator Kathy Austin, who is co-chair of the legislature's Public Safety Committee. She represents about 10 towns in the eastern part of the state. Senator Austin, welcome back to the show. Uh, Good morning. It's nice to be with you. You can also join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Senator Austin, let's start with the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs. I understand there was a 45-day period for it to review the state's agreement, amended agreement, with the Mohegan Tribe and the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation. And I think that period is up tomorrow. So what have you heard about uh, the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs are they expected to make a decision? It's up on the 9th. Yes, that is tomorrow. And uh, my understanding is that they will be making a decision then. Uh, I'm sitting on pins and needles myself waiting for um, uh, that resolution. And so what happens if uh, Thursday come and uh, goes and you know there's no decision uh, from the Bureau of Indian Affairs? Uh, what does that mean in terms of how the state can move forward? The state can't move forward until uh, we have a decision from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Mm-hmm. You said you're sitting on pins and needles. So are you, are you feeling optimistic <laughs> or not so much? Well, you know, I, I always hope for the best and expect the worst. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that uh, we will have a decision. Uh, but uh, I don't get to sit uh, anywhere near uh, where that decision making process is. And so like the rest of Connecticut. I sit on the side uh, waiting with bated breath. Mm. Uh, But we know that the two casinos are in uh, your district. Uh, I would assume that, you know, there are, I'm wondering if are there lobbyists uh, that work with the tribes that are talking with the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs? What do you know about the process that you can tell us? um, I have no idea if lobbyists are talking with uh, the federal government uh, that represent both the uh, tribal nations. Uh, I've not talked to any of them relative to this issue. Uh, the two uh, uh, federally recognized tribes have lobbyists here in Connecticut. I've reached out to them and uh, they are also waiting to see what the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, says. Um, so the process is that the amended compacts uh, uh, were sent to um the BIA for review, and uh, uh, we're waiting to see uh, what happens. Uh, now, I know that there was another 
tribe that had a compact amendment or uh, with virtually no changes uh, down in Florida, and that came out on the 45th day. So here's hoping. So, <laughs> uh, well, there was a similar review related to plans for a potential casino in East Windsor. That was also delayed uh, by the Bureau of Indian Affairs under the Trump administration. So is Correct. there precedence that, you know, while we're expecting uh, a decision, there may be, you might have to wait a little bit longer than tomorrow. Well, um, the BIA and the, and the Secretary of the Interior is a Native American herself, uh, uh, that this administration is uh, much different than the previous administration, at least relative to uh, uh, the this particular agency. And so I, I don't see that, the I would say that the former was an outlier uh, not this one. That's right. You're talking about Secretary Deb Holland, uh, who is yes. the first Native American to serve as the cabinet uh, secretary. Uh, so I mentioned that both casinos are in your district. And maybe you could remind uh, listeners uh, with all of the, the negotiations that uh, went on to get uh, online gambling and sports betting in Connecticut, at least the process uh, to head to the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs. You know, what's at stake? Why was this necessary? Well, first of all, uh, the two uh, Native American communities are um, are uh, and the tribal uh, the tribal nations and their business entities are two of the largest employers in the state. Uh, they have over twelve thousand um, uh, um, uh, employees that live just in uh, Eastern Connecticut. Never mind in other places, and. Uh, the facts are that um, they provide more revenue than any other business businesses in the state, and um, so the the facts are that we um, we need these businesses. They're extremely um, important uh, to Eastern Connecticut. As a matter of fact, uh, people in our in our neck of the woods remember when Electric Boat lost all of its employees. Uh, traveled down to the lowest that they had been in, in uh, generations. Uh, and the two tribal nations stepped up and hired people who uh, uh, did not have any opportunity to get another job. And so um, the this has been a journey to get uh, internet gaming passed and sports betting passed in the legislature. Other states are far ahead of us um, uh, on the in this um in this way, uh, we've been putting forth legislation on this for four or five years now, uh, trying to uh, pique the interest of the executive branch um, to uh, make sure that um, that uh, they understand the value of this. And this protects, uh, helps protect jobs and modernizes gaming in a way that has not been done since uh, uh, the 30 years that gaming has been um, instituted in Connecticut. The gaming discussion happened uh, decades ago. This is just modernizing it. So this has been a long process to get to this point. Uh, and uh, that's, that's where we are today. 
You're hearing State Senator Kathy Austin on Zoom. She's co-chair of the Legislature's Public Safety Committee. As we talk about uh, the state uh, moving forward uh, with uh, expansion of gambling, so online gambling and sports betting, still waiting for approval from the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, this amended gaming compact between the state and the two tribes. If you have a question, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Senator Austin, you mentioned... uh, employment and the jobs that are at stake. Uh, But the state also uh, could gain a lot of money uh, when we think about expanding uh, gambling. Can you talk through with us how much revenue is expected uh, once the the ball gets rolling? Well, once the ball gets rolling, uh, where the dollars uh, will be achieved is in the iLottery, which will be handled by the Lottery Corporation, uh, and iGaming, handled by the two tribal nations, um, sports betting, the one that gets talked about the most, actually brings in the least amount of revenue, it, but it is uh, uh, one of the main um, uh, points of interest of people who participate in gaming. And we took under uh, uh, under the umbrella of gaming, we finally authorized fantasy games. Um, so uh, generally speaking, all told, uh, I think we'll be around $80 million in uh, additional revenue. uh, And that will steadily rise um, uh, in the next few years. And when we're talking about online gambling and sports betting, so anyone with a a smartphone, a tablet, will be able to to play these games, Senator? Yes. Uh, Coming up, we're gonna be talking about uh, problem gambling resources in our state, including, you know, how to help adolescents and young people who may uh, be dealing with disordered gambling. So I'm wondering what protections are there, precautions to keep young people um, from uh, gambling online, Senator? Uh, So uh, the software um, that has been designed is actually uh, uh, worked in uh, other states relative to um, making sure young people uh, can't uh, gamble online. Uh, it's um, uh, state-of-the-art um, software to um, make sure that uh, only the people that should be gambling are allowed to gamble. And I, and I point out that the two tribal nations, um, before it was required by legislation, uh, gave more money than any other entity uh, uh, for uh, developing programs for problem gambling, uh, made sure that they stood up um, uh, the resources uh, for the Council on Problem Gambling and others. Uh, so they have always participated uh, in that relatively small number of, of uh, gamblers who find themselves uh, uh, in trouble relative to gambling. Um, so uh, this has uh, been researched and looked at, and in the bill itself, it increased uh, the for- formally, even though the two tribal nations uh, were already participating in uh, sending real dollars for problem gambling, uh, but it formalized that process. You mentioned a small number of problem gamblers, but I'm, I'm guessing that's based on uh, the people who went to the brick and mortar uh, casinos. But now when we think about online gambling, you know, just the, the uh, you know, the accessibility of it uh, for people that um, are of age, a senator, does that worry you at all? The uh, in again, Connecticut is 
far behind other states who are already uh, having internet gaming and sports betting online and other forms of gambling online. Uh, so I'm not just talking uh, those that went to brick and mortar. This is something that has been tracked in those other states uh, to um, uh, to see where the problems are, to make sure that we're dealing with and providing the resources for those problems. Uh, and uh, that that is, um, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is to make sure that we're providing those protections. And this was based on our bill uh, took advantage, although I believe we should have uh, done this a, a long time ago. Um, the um, uh, This bill uh, was able to take advantage of other states' legislation to see where the problems may be. And it de dealt with a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get into more of the safeguards with uh, Senator Kathy Austin, again, co-chair of the Public Safety Committee, as we talk about expanding gambling in our state. If you have a question about the process, uh, maybe you're someone who has experienced problem gambling in your family and you want to talk about that, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So for adults who um, decide to uh, play uh, one of these games, uh, Senator Austin, uh, talk through some of uh, the, the safeguards when we think about, um, you know, uh, limits on credit, also self-exclusion. How would that work? Well, self-exclusion could happen. Um, uh, you would have to exclude from each different platform. Uh, so uh, you would exclude from FanDuel's at Mohegan or DraftKings at uh, Mashantucket or uh, Rush with uh, the lottery. Um, so uh, that would uh, that's one specific mechanism so that if someone finds themselves um, uh, unable to uh, keep from gambling, this is a way, a mechanism for them to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. There are all kinds of programs um, relative to problem gambling to make sure that um, uh, like substance abuse, like some of the other things to provide counseling and, and other resources. Uh, and there is um, uh, limits on, on um, uh, credit uh, relative to uh, individual amounts that you can put on your uh, credit card. Cause you, and you can only use one credit card, um, not multiple credit cards. Uh, although I do believe that while it does not specifically call for the other forms of uh, uh, pay like Apple Pay or Venmo or PayPal, uh, that is uh, still an open discussion. That is allowed in all other states uh, because our payment mechanisms are changing now. Uh, they're moving away from uh, credit cards into these other forms of payment, uh, which allow uh, payment um, on online basis. So uh, I think we're going to have to look at that as we go into the next session. I know uh, some opponents of this gambling expansion, including some Republican lawmakers, you know, they worry about the use of joint accounts to pay for gambling expenses. What do you think about that? Um, actually, it's been proven that the joint accounts are, are a good way uh, to keep track of what is going on because uh, you have access to joint accounts. And so if there was something going on with a partner uh, and you noticed 
uh, what was going on with your joint account, then uh, you would uh, be able uh, to address the issue much earlier uh, uh, than having an account uh, that you did not have access to. And so uh, I, I don't think that that's an issue. Um, and I point out that, um, that the gaming bill, uh, that 85% of all legislators voted for the gaming bill, uh, 150 to 27. And um, three of the four people who voted against the regulations the other day also voted against the bill. They're philosophically opposed uh, to gaming. And I, I respect them for that. But um, uh, this to me has always been um, more about providing good paying jobs in Eastern Connecticut. And when I look at 12,000 jobs at two of the largest minority owned businesses in the state, um, I'm looking at protecting an industry that provides people with a middle-class lifestyle. Again, you're hearing State Senator Kathy Austin here on Where We Live as we talk about a gambling expansion in our state. If you have a question, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So last week, the Legislature's Regulation Review Committee gave emergency approval to regulations that would govern new forms of gambling in Connecticut. You're on that committee. Why was this an emergency, Senator? Uh, we had always uh, designed this as being an, uh, an emergency certification. We knew when we passed the bill that uh, the regulations in order to uh, get uh, and, and stand up um, uh, gaming um, uh, concerning the bill that we had passed, that uh, the regulations would have to be passed on an emergency basis and reviewed within six months thereafter. Uh, so uh, this was uh, a planned, um, in quotes, um, emergency that in order to get this, um, uh, uh, this uh, something that has been supported, widely supported in the state, uh, to get this up and running, we needed to get the, um, the regulations passed uh, in this mechanism that is called an emergency. We know that NFL season opener also is uh, coming up. And so uh, because the, the federal approval is still, you're still waiting on that. There's no, there's no betting on the NFL season uh, in Connecticut right now. <laughs> well, I'm sure that people are already doing it. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's the point of having the, um, uh, the point of having the bill. Uh, that's why we, that's one of the reasons why we we've been pushing clearly people bet on on football and other sporting events um, already. Uh, this is a mechanism to, uh, to provide uh, resources for people, for those that are concerned with problem gambling, uh, for those that um, want to have a well-regulated uh, system uh, that uh, lets everyone know right where they stand uh, right from the beginning. So these are all things that um, are important to our constituents and to the two largest businesses in the state. Mm -hmm. So to recap, the way the law has been written uh, for the people that are going to be actually operating online gambling and sports betting, that's going to be the two tribes and uh, the Connecticut Lottery Corporation. And so the Connecticut Lottery Corporation uh, will be ponying up more money, right, uh, towards problem gambling, uh, more than the tribes? Not more than the tribes, uh, but they will be putting up money for problem gambling also, yes. Mm. And they'll be operating uh, up to a dozen or more uh, facilities that will allow uh, the sports betting, the Connecticut Lottery. Senator Austin, can you walk us through that? 
the uh, the law allows 15 uh, uh, brick and mortar sites um, around uh, around the state. Uh, uh, blocks off Eastern Connecticut, uh, generally speaking, Bridgeport, New Haven, Waterbury, Hartford, and other areas uh, is uh, up in the uh, uh, northern part of the state. Uh, so um, that that will allow, and they, I believe, um, uh, that the lottery has uh, come up with an agreement with Sports Tech. Uh, uh, to act as a vendor in these uh, particular facilities. Um, so uh, there is, certainly will be other sites uh, available for people to go to. Earlier I talked about all the negotiating uh, that had to happen to get uh, this amended gaming compact. How much credit do you think Governor Lamont uh, gets for this, Senator? Well, I appreciate the executive branch and the governor uh, for uh, uh, stepping forward, I do think the bill that was presented by the Eastern delegation year after year after year certainly um, pushed uh, the executive branch. But he did sit down with the two tribal nations. Um, the negotiation with the compact agreements have to come from the executive branch. And I certainly appreciate the governor uh, having those discussions and um, and coming to a resolution. Well, we appreciate your time talking about, again, uh, this uh, expansion of gambling in our state, again, waiting for uh, federal approval from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, before I let you go, I did want to ask you, um, you know, your take on uh, the pandemic uh, right now, Senator Austin. We know the Delta surge causing more hospitalizations, more cases around our state. What are you hearing from constituents? I think that there's um, uh, a little bit of uh, fatigue relative to the pandemic, and I'm hoping that um, people uh, uh, stick to what we've been doing. Um, it's it's clear to me that uh, the governor has uh, led us through um, the pandemic and COVID in particular um, uh, with a deft hand. Uh, so uh, most of my constituents are experiencing a lot of fatigue, though. And, and that's something I think we have to deal with. Are there any executive orders that you would support extending, including uh, mass and schools? Uh, I would, uh, I don't, you know, I would have to look at each executive order to uh, uh, see which ones that um, I would uh, support. And I wait for uh, uh, hopefully uh a review of all executive orders that still stand. I think that one of the things that we really have to look at is what will happen with um, uh, evictions and foreclosures. Uh, I think that that will be our biggest concern. Uh, I want to see all children back in school, all all children back in school in person. Uh, uh, that that provides the best educational experience. And I think uh, you know, I think boards of ed are making decisions uh, relative to what they they believe are the best for their students. Mm. And hopefully based on uh, guidelines from the federal CDC as well. Correct. State Senator Kathy Austin, again, is co-chair of the Legislature's Public Safety Committee. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. We've been talking about uh, gambling expansion in the state, uh, also problem gambling. Uh, I wanted to give out, there's actually a hotline from the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling. If you or someone in your family is dealing with this issue, it's 888-789-7777. You can also text CTGAMB to 5 Three three four two, and we'll be sure to put out that information on Twitter at where we live. After the break, we'll talk to one of several UConn Medical School students who've been taking a closer look at the gambling prevention and treatment resources available in Connecticut for young people. You can join us too. Eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. That's eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Online gambling and sports betting is expected to bring in millions for the state of Connecticut, but at what cost? Opponents to a gambling expansion worry about the impact on residents and their families. My next guest is part of a group of medical students at UConn who've been studying problem gambling treatment and prevention resources in Connecticut. On Zoom with us now, Yoga Camilli, who's a fourth year medical student at UConn. Yoga, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned that you, as well as several other uh, UConn medical students, are are actually working on a capstone project where you're comparing gambling treatment and prevention resources for young people in Connecticut to what's available in other states. Uh, So what got you started on this project, Yoga? Right. So um, initially, um, from the University of Connecticut, all of the medical students are required to do a capstone project. And... um, me and two of my classmates are working with the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling um, in order to kind of um, bring more attention to the topic. Um, so we went through a number of different ideas of what we could do to kind of um, bring more light to the matter. And one of the best um, ideas that we had that we wanted to pursue was um, to compare Connecticut to other states um, in New England, as well as the rest of the country about uh, like regarding um, the number of resources available um, specifically to adolescents that are um, having problems with gambling. 
You mentioned bring light to this issue. And I read your testimony before the legislature earlier this year. Uh, as future physicians in training, uh, you say it's important for people to understand the implications that addiction, uh, also problem gambling, can have. And when I think about addiction, it comes in many forms, uh, but maybe not top of mind for people that problem gambling is serious and, and does affect uh, many Americans. Yeah, I mean, one of the big reasons we chose to work with the Connecticut um, Council on Problem Gambling was when we're taught about addiction in medical school or just through our education, we generally talk about like um, drug addiction or like alcohol abuse. And a lot of, I'm sorry about that, I'm in the hospital right now, but um, we very rarely, we very rarely talk about um, problems with gambling and how that's a, that's an addiction on its own. And, um, you know, it has very similar physiology when it comes to just like, um, uh, when it comes to like the parts of your brain that get activated by that instant gratification. So, um, yeah, we really, we really think that it's not talked about enough. Oh, when I was talking with Senator Austin, I asked her about, you know, what are the safeguards in place to keep adolescents and young people um, from, uh, you know, from online gambling, and she said that there's a state-of-the-art software. So can you talk a little bit about that? What have you learned when we look at other states like California or Nevada um, and how they're handling problem gambling among uh, the young people? Right. So um, based on our just like primary literary searching so far, the main things we saw about California and Nevada were not necessarily, um, you know, we didn't focus on how they were preventing adolescents from um, gambling, but more so they just provided more resources um, after the thought. Like they know that there has been an increase in problem gambling among the younger population. So they were making it clear that they had resources available to help those individuals. Um, I know in Connecticut, there are a lot of resources available for adults. Um, the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling, they have that hotline, uh, they have a ton of resources and um, even here, we have people trained um, to deal with adolescents, but it's just not something that um, we think has been given the amount of resources that it could use. Um, so I'm, I'm honestly not sure about um, what the state-of-the-art technology they're using is. Uh, the only thing I can kind of think in response to that is um, younger people are quite resourceful and intelligent, especially when it comes to technology. And um, I don't, I, I, I can't say exactly how, but I feel like there are probably ways of kind of bypassing a lot of that security. And especially when it's just accessible via smartphone or tablets. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not enough to just think about how we're going to prevent it, but also provide resources for when there is an increase. Exactly. When we talk about addiction and the impact on... And yes, Yoko, you said that you're in a hospital right now. We appreciate your time. Yeah. No problem. When we talk about addiction and how it impacts the brain, can you talk, what, what do we know about with brain development and uh, how that might make young people more susceptible to gambling and the excitement of it? Right. So, I mean, some of the studies that we saw that were just um, looking into adolescents with problems with gambling, um, just due to like the inherent developmental and cognitive immaturities with adolescents, they're more susceptible to problem gambling. And 
Um, they've been shown to have like lower self-esteem. They're more likely to be impulsive. And um, when compared to peers who don't have problem gambling, they're even more at risk for like substance abuse and other problems um, with just like impulsive decisions. So um, as easily as it is for adults to be affected by problem gambling, um, just based on what we read so far, it would not be like out of question to think that it would be even more easy. It would be even easier for adolescents to kind of fall into this um, addiction with gambling. I hope you don't mind if I bring up your age. You're in your mid twenties, and so are there uh, things about online gambling that might appeal to you or some of your peers? Yeah, I mean, so. Um, a lot of the things I was looking at, we were looking at when we were looking into this were people even younger than myself, but even people my age, um, like I have actually, um, I know people that my age that have never been to a casino, but they play online poker regularly. I know people who, um, they don't feel like it's worth driving all the way to a casino, but just how easy it is to be able to um, gamble from your smartphone while you're just sitting in the comfort of your home or just to pass time. Um, I think turning gambling into something that's more electronic, um, it just makes it far more accessible and interesting to the younger generation. We know that the the state uh, through this this new law uh, we're, that the casinos are each going to be uh, paying about five hundred thousand dollars annually towards resources for problem gambling. The Connecticut Lottery will be ponying up uh, another million or so. And so, are you uh, are you feeling confident uh, based on what you you and your colleagues have been studying that you know there's there's money set aside for this? But what are the best ways to approach this that will also reach young people? Yoga. Right. So I think it's awesome that um, these organizations are putting aside money um, for like to, to provide more resources um, for the people who could have problems from these new laws. Um, but I think the big thing is going to be um, listening to the experts and kind of having them put together a plan of how to properly spend this money in order to prevent um, serious problems for individuals in the future. So, I mean, me and my classmates, we're pretty new to this field. All of the information that we have so far is based on research that we've done over the past year or two. Um, the people at Connecticut Council of Problem Gambling, they have been doing this for years. They know even more. And um, they are regularly um, giving testimonies to Congress in regards to how uh, we can prevent big problems in the future. So I think the best thing to do is going to be just to follow their advice and um, put together a plan where we can spend this money effectively and efficiently. I'd asked you about uh, you being in your 20s and how online gambling might appeal uh, to some of your peers. Any personal uh, experience uh, with that in terms of what is it about certain video games that, that make you attracted to play them and maybe it becomes more compulsive? Right. So there's a lot of video games um on the market where um they have like loot boxes or it's a pay to play or um pay to win kind of scheme where um it can be a free to play game which attracts many users but then there's hidden costs or there's incentives in the game to spend a lot of money and so that i can see affecting a lot of the younger population um who are interested in these video games and 
are initially drawn in by the fact that they are free to play. Um, I have a younger cousin who plays this game on his phone as well as on his computer, where um, I think he spent, I don't know, like at least a couple hundred dollars in order to play this game that is entirely free. And they, he does that because it's so easy for these gaming companies to um, convince younger people to pay all of this money. And so when it comes to um, online gambling, even if it's not video game related, um, younger people are just more susceptible to advertising and anything that they see on their smartphone that looks interesting. Earlier, I shared the hotline that the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling has, including a text uh, option. But are these uh, ways, the best ways to reach young people? What have you seen how other states um, talk with uh, young people about gambling? Is this something that needs to also be in the schools, Yoga? Yeah, so I think like it's great having that hotline and having that resource, but I think many people do not know about these resources, especially like in schooling. When I was in school, there was definitely no um, teachers or no like day where people told us about um, um, like resources available to us for problem gambling or many, many younger people, they can be spending hundreds of dollars and be gambling, but not even know that they're gambling. So I think a large part of it is also just raising awareness. And I think um, almost instituting something like D.A.R.E. into schools where they are kind of bringing more um, awareness to the issue, even among um, the like adolescent population, I think that would make a big difference. Well, Yoga Camille, we appreciate your time uh, explaining uh, to us that uh, what you've been studying with some of your peers. Again, uh, he's a four, UConn fourth-year medical student, and this project, the conclusions. Uh, when do you expect to report them out, Yoga? Um, so, I, I mean, at the latest, we're definitely going to be getting them done by, I believe, December. Um, or, you know, we'll be getting our conclusions done by December, and then um, we'll be hoping to present it at a conference or at least at our school. Um, before I graduate at the end of the year. Well, you've raised some interesting points uh, for us uh, to think about. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we'll talk with gaming business and tourism reporter Brian Hollenbeck from the Day of New London. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. We've been talking about online gambling and sports betting. Connecticut is the third New England state to legalize sports betting. Joining us now for some more context on Zoom, Brian Hollenbeck, a reporter with The Day of New London. He covers gaming, business, and tourism. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Good to be with you. We've had Senator Austin on the show before. Uh, she definitely talks a lot about the economic impact of the tribes and the casinos and why uh, a gambling expansion is needed. But tell us exactly how the state was able to get to this place, because it's been a long time coming, right? It sure has. Um, I've been covering this issue for seven years. 
um, back in 2015, there was the beginning of talks uh, in the legislature about how to expand gambling in Connecticut to sort of uh, just stay on an equal footing with competition. Uh, back then, um, MGM Resorts, uh, the Las Vegas uh, gaming giant, was just moving into New England. Uh, they'd won a license for Western Massachusetts. They were going to build a casino, a resort casino in Springfield, right on the Connecticut border. Um, a good chunk of uh, the business at both Mohegan and uh, Foxwoods comes from Western Massachusetts. And, uh, and a couple of years later, uh, the uh, Wynn uh, Resorts, also from Vegas, uh, got the license in the Boston area, having beaten out Mohegan Sun, by the way, for that license. Um, and so uh, the competition was uh, encroaching. New York State was uh, admitting new uh, casinos as well. Uh, Twin River um, was thriving in Rhode Island. And uh, so all of this was impacting our casinos. And they, so there was talk of expansion. And um, ultimately that played out with a, uh, with a plan to uh, develop uh, a satellite casino that the tribes jointly in East Windsor. And, uh, and then in 2018 is when the U.S. Supreme Court put uh, sports betting sort of on the table by uh, removing a, a ban that had been in place on uh, on states enacting uh, sports betting legislation. So it's only a matter of time before all the states start, started to go after that. And uh, Connecticut was uh, a little slow on the draw there. But they have a very unique situation in that um the tribes, uh, by virtue of their gaming agreements with the state, pretty much have the say on, on betting and, and gaming, gaming in Connecticut. Uh, nothing happens without their say-so. And uh, so that was a, a complication here in Connecticut that you didn't see in other states. And uh, it took years for, for, uh, for them to sort that out. And uh, finally, they did this year. And it's really the, the big development um, I think that let it all happen was uh, in, in negotiations most recently, the tribes uh, relinquished their uh, insistence on uh, they being uh, given the exclusive right to offer sports uh, betting and nobody else. And, and that had been a stumbling block. And the state uh, had always wanted to spread it around a little bit because the lottery and then our uh, off-track betting operators, sport tech venues, both wanted a piece of it too. And, and had threatened litigation uh, if it was awarded exclusively to the tribes. And the uh, ultimately the agreement that we got this year uh, avoided that such litigation. So, you know, I think that was uh, what allowed it all to happen. Uh, Brian, when we hear about, uh, again, worries that uh, jobs would be lost uh, with these uh, two casinos, uh, especially with all the competition with brick and mortar uh, casinos, I mean, how will online gambling and sports betting help these tribes with employment? Because it, it seems like less people are going to the actual casino to gamble. And if you're able to do it on your smartphone or tablet, then, you know, why bother? Right. Well, that is one of the um, sort of unanswered questions, uh, certainly that I have about this is how all the online gaming will affect uh, traffic to the casinos. Uh, they say, uh, the casino folks say that uh, this new new forms of gambling will um, build the market. I mean, it'll draw people to, to gaming that haven't been uh, partaking up to this point and that uh, 
they'll see more traffic at the uh, casinos. Now, you know, I think that has, has yet to be seen, obviously. Uh, in New Jersey, a number I've seen is that 90% of the, uh, of the sports betting that takes place in New Jersey takes place online. So it's not driving people to casinos there, I don't think. Um, but overall, uh, um, it's going to help the casinos. I think it'll generate another source of revenue uh, for them. It's not a great amount of revenue. And I think even more so than the revenue, the reason that they, they want to be in sports betting and on- online gaming is that uh, the competition has it. And the casino game is, is very much uh, one of uh, staying on an equal footing with those around you. And um, also the, it's the, there's less talking about it. It, it, Sports betting has has gotten a lot of the discussion, but actually it's the online casino gaming, which which continues to be exclusive to the tribes. Um, That'll be the bigger uh, revenue generator uh, for them. Uh, And that's, uh, when you think about it, um, you know, that's going to enable gamblers to do play just about every casino game everything that you would do in a casino, slots, uh, blackjack, roulette, et cetera, uh, you'll be able to do that on your handheld device uh, on an online uh, app uh, with each casino. So again, that's another uh, opportunity to, uh, to gamble without traveling to the casino. You're hearing Brian Hollenbeck here on Where We Live. He's a reporter with The Day of New London. Uh, you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. So we spent some time talking about this uh, upcoming uh, deadline from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, will it approve these amended gaming compacts, compacts? Senator Austin saying she's sitting on pins and needles. What have you been hearing, Brian? Well, uh, I guess we all sort of are in a way. Um you know, we all understand that the uh, the regulations governing the uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs says that they're required to act on this uh, on this matter within 45 days of the receipt of it. Um, they received it on July 27. So if we count out 45 days, September 9th, tomorrow is the 45th day. And uh, as I understand their regula- regulations, if they don't take action either to approve or de- to deny within those 45 days, then it is in effect deemed approved, uh, which is <laughs> tantamount to approval. Uh, there are some, uh, I guess, some legal niceties, I guess, if they just let the clock run out as opposed to acting on it. Uh, as Senator Austin mentioned, they've taken that tack uh, down in Florida where the Seminole tribe was a huge sports betting and, and uh, expanded gaming deal with, with the state of Florida. Uh, they submitted theirs for approval and uh, the BIA handled it that way. They just let the 45 days run, run out. So in effect became approved. Even since then, I, I understand the, that um, that deal is uh, now being um, being targeted by several lawsuits and uh, by uh, other gaming operators who were opposed to to being shut out of things down there. So we'll see. Um, once the once the forty five days it up, excuse me, is up. Um, the next uh, step that has to occur is is the uh, the approval if there there is approval or the inaction would have to be published in the federal register, which is a uh, document uh, 
that the federal government puts out daily. It's it's sort of the uh, the daily journal of government business. And once something appears there, it has the force of law. Would that would that happen the same day? Would that happen on the ninth, or would that happen no sooner than say the tenth or the eleventh? I don't know, but I think as at, uh, at about 10 a.m. here on the 8th, I think we can say that there will not be betting in Connecticut on the NFL season opener, which is tomorrow night um, in Tampa when the Cowboys and the Tom Brady-led Bucks uh, open the season uh, at about 8 p.m., I understand. Uh, before we let you go, we just have a couple of minutes left, uh, Brian. I understand you have been reporting on the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation. Interested in getting into the, the cannabis biz? What can you tell us briefly? Uh, all I know is uh, there was a report about a week ago uh, in, a, in a publication that, that tracks this kind of thing. Uh, and they quoted anonymously a couple of tribal officials saying that they, they had plans for a big uh, dispensary uh, on the reservation. I believe was on the reservation or very near the reservation, which would be a crucial distinction now that I think about it. But uh, when I, I approached them, uh, I got no, no confirmation of that, no denial, but uh, they did say that they're very interested in, in the cannabis business that is now opened up by the state legislature and uh, they're investigating their options. And that, that's all they would say. Well, we want to thank reporter Brian Hollenbeck for joining us here on Where We Live. Uh, Brian, uh, before I let you go, any bets on the, the season opener with the NFL? <laughs> uh, I, th I think I'd go with the Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where most of the action is going to be. And you can see why the tribes would have wanted to have sports betting in place and the lottery in place, because I think there's going to be tremendous interest in that and uh, would have been, been a great time to introduce sports betting in, in the state. But I think we're going to just miss it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we appreciate your time again, Brian Hollenbeck with the Day of New London. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Matt Dwyer. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. You can listen to Where We Live anytime. Just download the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. <laughs>